Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. <laughs> Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 is where we're going to pick up. And by way of review a little bit, because it's been a little while since we got together. Uh, you'll remember we looked at last time was basically verses 27 through 30. And Jacob's just been deceived by Laban. He thought he was working those seven years for his beloved Rachel, and he ends up waking up the next morning, finds out he's been in bed with Leah, the not-so-desirable sister, the older sister. And so things start off with a little tension there. Then Laban ends up conniving another seven years out of Jacob in exchange for the wife that he wanted, the daughter of Laban, which was Rachel. So Jacob loves Rachel. He didn't like Leah. He's ended up now married to both. And that's kind of where we pick up. In fact, we looked at verse 30. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. And that's how we ended. Kind of a rough place to end on, Mm -hmm. all right? Picking up at verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. All right, so poor Leah, right? She didn't do anything to ask for this. You know, this is just her dad put all this together, and it's just awkward. But when the Lord, uh, this is yod vav all right. We haven't seen yod heh since Jacob was starting his journey. You know, that 500-mile journey when he left home and his brother wanted to kill him. And mom said, get out of here. And dad said, okay, I give you the blessing. Get out of here. And he's on his way through the 500 miles of the desert. And he ends up out in the field. And God appears to him. And there's that vision of the ladder or the staircase to heaven. And he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on this staircase or on this ladder. And it was the first time that yod heh had met Jacob. And so we haven't seen yod until now. A lot has happened since then. Because he had to complete that 500-mile journey, probably a month, if not more, longer journey. He ends up meeting Rachel. He ends up meeting Laban, Rachel's dad. He ends up meeting Leah. He ends up getting married. He's worked seven years before the marriage. So a lot of time has passed that we didn't hear anything about yod But here we see he's still there. Remember that God had promised Jacob when they were way out there, I'll be with you. And here, looks like he made the journey too. It looks like God is there as well. But it's interesting that the Lord is not attending to Jacob here. The Lord is attending to Leah. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, the Lord is seeing that Leah is unloved. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Let's talk about being barren. Rachel's barren. Have we seen anybody be barren before? Mm-hmm. Who was barren so far? Sarah, Sarah right? Rebecca. So each generation, we're on generation three, and we've seen barrenness in each generation. Abraham, generation one, his beloved wife, Sarah, barren. <laughs> and then eventually they end up having the child Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca. Rebecca, the beloved wife, barren. And then Isaac and Rebecca eventually end up having Esau and Jacob, and here we find Jacob and his beloved wife, Rachel, barren. We also see something else as well. Here, God is looking with favor upon Leah. Leah is the unloved one. 
right? So we've got this weird thing with the unloved and the firstborns, and we've seen a pattern of this before. In fact, if you look at the board with me a little bit right here, you'll remember that Abraham loved Ishmael. It actually said that in the text, but mm -hmm. Ishmael? No, he's out. It was Isaac that God intended to do his great things through. And then you remember Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac loved Esau, the firstborn. God says, no, it's going to be Jacob. So it's this interesting thing where these people, these pillars, if you will, the patriarchs, have their choices, their preferences, and God's saying, no, I'm going to go the other direction. <laughs> I'm going to choose the other one. All right. So it kind of makes it interesting when we get down to here and we go, what is God going to do now? Right. The promise started with Abraham. It was transferred to Isaac. It was passed along to Jacob. And now we see Jacob with Rachel and Leah. And we're like, I wonder what's going to happen now. Because it could go either of two directions. It would have been just nice and easy and simple if Jacob had just married Rachel and it would just been easier to follow. But it's complicated. Mm -hmm. We find it's when man gets involved, when Laban got involved, uh, things start to get complicated. So Leah is unloved. My version says unloved. Anybody else have something else in their version in 29 verse 31 besides the word unloved? There's a little footnote that says hated. Ooh, a footnote that says oh, hated. Man. Rough, right? So imagine, Jacob, you're working seven years for Rachel, the one you love. And in those seven years, you would think, at the end of this, I'm going to be married to my beloved Rachel. The whole family comes as a package. You ought to get to know the family, right? You just can't pick this one and marry that one and not associate with the others. You would think in seven years, you would get to speaking terms with Leah or maybe like Leah, you know, because she is the sister, Right? Maybe you would be having some, I don't know, dinner parties and you would go spend some time with them and you would get to a point where you could tolerate her. But hated? That must have been a hard seven years and now they're married together? It doesn't sound like this is a good way to start your marriage. Uh, but Leah is unloved. God sees this. God opens her womb. Rachel is barren. Uh, some of the other versions for unloved, you've got everything between unloved and hated. Some of them say loved less than Rachel or disliked or rejected or didn't like Leah much. And then uh, verse 32, so Leah conceived and bore a son. So it's as if God looked with favor upon Leah, opens her womb, and she's able to conceive. She bears a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. She calls him Reuben. She names him Reuben. And then we have this explanation. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. That's because Reuben actually means see a son. So she names her son a name that has meaning. See a son. And the part that having to do with the see is that God had seen her. That God saw her situation. And she's giving God credit for giving her a son. This is the firstborn in the family of the next generation, all right? I'm going to change the board a little bit then because we're going to move Jacob, Rachel, and Leah up here because we're going to need some room because this is Jacob's family is starting. We're going to need some room to show it. So here we have Jacob, his beloved Rachel, who's barren. Over here we have Leah, and she ends up having the firstborn, the firstborn son, Reuben. Now, no offense to the women in the room, uh, but back then it was important to have a son. There was a priority given that if you could have a son, that's excellent. You did your service well to your husband. All right? I don't mean in his disparaging remarks, all right? We're not, I'm not trying to give a commentary on it. But that's just the economy of the way it was. They were looking for a son. Jacob's looking for a son. Leah is able, to, by God's graciousness, to provide the firstborn son. And so she thinks, I've got this firstborn son. I've got this baby now, and it's a boy. My husband's going to love me now. You know anybody that ever thought, you know, if I could just get pregnant, my husband, who's not so attached to me, will 
Love me then. How, how often do we hear that working out? Yeah. Mm, not very often, right? <laughs> how well do you think it's going to work out here? Mm, probably not so much so, right? Also, I want to draw attention to the fact where the reason for the name that's chosen, obviously having to do with the meaning behind it, right? It carries with it the meaning of something that's associated in that time. In fact, the IVP Bible background commentary says, the naming of a child or the naming of children was a significant act and typically represented some circumstance or sentiment at the time of birth. I think back when my children were born, and maybe some of you can relate to this, it seems in our society we have this procedure that we go through in picking names for our kids. I didn't know there was a procedure. I was uninformed. I thought it was a simple process. I thought you just picked a name. But apparently that's not the case. So it turns out that you have to pick a first name that sounds good with the last name. And I guess that makes sense to me, but I didn't know that was a requirement. But okay, I get it. But then not only does the first name have to sound good with the last name, the first name also apparently has to sound good with the middle name. Right, Because if you're going to get mad, if you're the parent, you need to know that middle name because sometimes that's when the middle name comes out and it doesn't even get to the last name. It's just first name, middle name. And they know when they hear their middle name, that's an indication they're in trouble. So you got to pick a name that sounds good with the last name. you got to pick a name that sounds good with the middle name. My wife, by the way, we had such a hard time picking a name that she kept a little notepad next to her bed with a pen. And it was just so that if she thought of something and she was in bed, she could write it down. And so one night she wakes up and she thinks of the perfect first and middle name and she writes it down and she goes to bed and just sleeps so wonderfully. And the next morning I wake up and she says, oh, I got to tell you, I thought of the greatest first and middle name last night. Oh, okay, what's it going to be? And she goes, Claire Annette. And I said, are you serious? Claire Annette? And she didn't even think, she's like, oh, it was supposed to be the perfect name. I said, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have a daughter named Clarinette. All right. So in case you're wondering if we went with it or not. Instrumental. Musical. Oh, and for the arts. Right. So in this procedure, as I was finding out, the first name has to sound good with the middle name. First name has to sound good with the last name. And then you also have to take into consideration if anybody in your family, if you owe somebody a debt and you got to name your kid after that person. So you got to like evaluate. Do I need to name my kid after grandma? grandpa satisfy that mm -hmm. and then you also have to realize okay i need to be able to pick a name that maybe is not something that's negatively associated with my past so if i was in let's say grade <laughs> school and beaten up by timmy i can't name my kid timmy yeah. you know that's not going to work for me so yeah, i got to be careful about that but i also can't name a daughter after an old girlfriend that's not going to work either so you have to take into consideration mm -hmm. all these sure. elements from your past so that kind of brings the pool down a little bit more there's also the idea that you, ha you can't pick a name that's too common, right, because you don't want yours to be one of three in the classroom that have that same name. But you also don't want to pick the made-up name. Every once in a while, you'll run across somebody with a made-up name, and you're going, oh, what? And then you've got to be careful not to pick a name that's hard to spell, of course, you know, because you don't want your child to go through life having to spell their name every time they say their name. And then you also don't want to pick a name that's got notoriety to it or that's, you know, infamous. Like, you don't want to name your kid Nero. You know, I uh, probably don't want to name your kid uh, Adolf, you know, or, uh, Jezebel. Those are, you know, pretty good bad names. You don't want to, you can name your dog those names, but you don't want to name your own kid. You don't want to pick a name that's too wimpy, but you don't want to pick a name that's too strong. You don't want to pick a name that's too pretentious. 
And then uh, finally, you also need to pick a name that's not going to be easy to make fun of them when they're in grade school. You don't want to name your kid Nelly because they're ultimately going to be smelly Nelly. You know, so there's all these things that we take into consideration when trying to pick a name for our kids. Oh, man. But back then, I mean, on our list, what the name has for meaning is way down on the list, right? Way down on the list, what the name actually means. For example, Sophia, it's Greek for wisdom, all right? So it, it's a name with meaning. But if you were to ask me what my name means, I don't even know. Because meaning associated with our names, it's not a priority as much as it was back then. Back then, that was the number one priority. You picked a name based on the meaning, all right? So that's what we see here. She picks the name Reuben. There's meaning to it. So not only does she end up having the firstborn son, which is Reuben, she ends up having another one. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon means hearing. And she's making a reference to the Lord hearing. So her firstborn son was named after the Lord seeing, and the second one is named after the Lord hearing. When looking at these names here, one of the neat things about these is that there's a reference to Yodhe Vavhe so far in each of the births of her first son or her second son, and she could be naming her son's negative things, right? She could be naming her firstborn son unloved because my husband doesn't love me. She could be naming her second son unloved also, or she could be naming her firstborn son affliction because the Lord has looked on my affliction, all right? But she's not. She's not focusing on the negative. She's focusing on the positive. She is putting, it seems, more trust in God's favor on her than her husband's favor on her. So she picks her first name. She picks her second name, giving credit to God where credit is due and not emphasizing or putting the focus on anything negative going on in her life. It's interesting that we see here you remember the firstborn, she thought, well, my husband will love me now. But by the secondborn, it's clearly not the case. Her husband still doesn't love her. Jacob still doesn't love her. And it's interesting to see as well, Jacob doesn't seem to be taking part in the naming of the kids. Usually back then, if the husband or the father of the children took part in giving the names to the children, like Abraham did for Ishmael, it was acknowledging that I am the father and an ownership and an acceptance of these children in the family. But we're not seeing that here. It's kind of strange that we're not. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. What do you suppose Levi means? Yeah, it has something to do with being attached, right? That's exactly right. So becoming attached, you would think that at some point, you know, this is the birth of her third son and she's still unloved. It's clear she's still unloved. But she's sticking to it. You would think she would say, you know what, I'm done with this relationship. Back then it was a little harder to do than nowadays, but the example she's providing for us nowadays is challenging nonetheless. I mean, she's sticking to it. She's staying in that relationship. If if you need more along these lines about staying in a relationship where your husband doesn't love you, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16 provides Paul's perspective on that as well. And the end result of the, the advice he gives is not too different than what we're seeing Leah play out, and that is she's staying with him. Moving on from there, it's interesting to see that for some reason, Jacob doesn't have any problem giving his seed to Leah, but he does seem to have a problem loving her, giving love to her. Hmm, that's kind of strange. You know, Jacob's fine sleeping with Leah, yeah. but not loving Leah. There's a saying nowadays that says that a guy will often give love to get sex, and a girl will often give sex to get love. It seems maybe Leah is giving sex to get love. 
if that's really the situation that's going on here, then it seems to be a really early reference to guys are jerks. <laughs> Maybe not all of them, but, you know, a lot of guys can be jerks. And I hope that's not the situation, but it's starting mm-hmm. to look that way. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Now I will praise yod heh Therefore, she called his name Judah. So now God's promises can come true because God, you remember, made those promises to Abraham. You're going to have lots of descendants. And then to Isaac, lots of descendants. And now we're down to Jacob. You can't have lots of descendants if nobody has kids, if nobody has sons. But now we have the ability for God to provide lots of descendants. You could stop right here. You don't need any more sons. Except Rachel's feeling slighted. And so as we transition to to chapter 30, verse 1, we see Rachel's perspective. Now, Rachel is the sister. You would think that Rachel maybe could take the position... You know what? We're satisfied. We're good. We got the boys. We can fulfill the promises. This is my sister. These are the sons of my sister. And although I would have hoped it would have turned out different, I can love these boys. But that's not her perspective. In fact, if you look at verse 1, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Really? Drama? (laughs) Can you see lots of drama going on in this family? Envy. Envy is one of those qualities that Jesus, in Mark chapter 7, verse 22, says defiles. Envy defiles us. Rachel's envying her sister. Envy is one of the qualities of those people who are destined for God's wrath in Romans 1, 18 through 32. Envy puts us on the list to be destined for God's wrath. Rachel's envying her sister. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, love does not envy. Rachel is envying her sister. Apparently, Rachel doesn't love her sister. We also find that envy is one of the qualities that are among the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God, according to Galatians 5.21. Envy, Rachel's envying her sister. So here we have Rachel. We have sibling rivalry. We have this envy going on. And now we find out each woman has something the other wants. What is it that Rachel has that Leah wanted? Love. She wanted love. Leah wanted love and Rachel had it. Rachel had the good looks that caught Jacob's eyes the very first time that they met. Rachel's got the beautiful body. Leah just wants to be loved. Switching it around now, what does Leah have that Rachel wants? Children. Children, sons. Yeah, so they each have something the other one wants, and that gives rise to this envy that's going on here. Verse 2, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Because... Clearly, it's not Jacob's issue, right? It's not Jacob's fault. Mm-hmm. The problem's not with Jacob. So it's clear that Rachel is barren. Mm-hmm. It's not Jacob that's barren, <laughs> right? if that's even the right, right word to use to describe that situation. You know. So it's clearly Rachel's problem. So Rachel works out this agreement or this deal that's very similar sounding to what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Verse 3, so she said, here's my maid Bilhah, go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Who's Bilhah? Do you remember who Bilhah is? Mm-hmm. What they call them, the, 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 the maid. Yep. So here's Bilhah. In fact, if you remember that when Jacob got married, when he married Rachel, Bilhah was the maid that was given mm-hmm. and Leah had a maid as well. That was Zilpah. So Rachel is saying, hey, if I can't have kids, take my maid and have kids through her because as we've seen before, The arrangement back in those days was that if this person bears children, she gets to be credited as the mom. She gets to adopt these babies as her own. So if she gives birth to a son or two, 
then Rachel can say, hey, we're going to count these as my sons. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with Abraham and Sarah. Sarah took her maid, Hagar, mm-hmm. and they ended up, Abraham and Hagar had Ishmael. And Ishmael was considered as the son of Sarah. Now, if Rachel ever has a son of her own, that son would take precedence over the maid's sons. All right. By the way, how did that work out when it was Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael? Did that work? Was that a smooth thing? No. no. Still having problems. Still having yeah. problems to this day is exactly right. So yeah, we have this awkward situation here where you can tell this is probably not a good idea. Uh, by the way, Jacob's dad. Jacob's dad, when he was married to Rebecca, Isaac and Rebecca. Do you remember Rebecca was barren? You remember what Isaac did? He prayed for his wife, and. God answered their prayers. Abraham and Sarah concocted a scheme that was much like this two generations ago. But just one generation ago, husband prayed for barren wife. God heard the prayers. God opened the womb of the wife, and they bear children. Jacob doesn't pray for Rachel, his beloved wife. That would have been nice to see. It would have been nice to see if people can learn from the mistakes of the people that went before them. It would be nice if we learned from the mistakes of our parents, too. And I look at my kids, and I go, learn from my mistakes. I'll tell you what they were if you'll just you know, do something different than those. But people have a mind of their own. They decide what they want to do. Here we have, they come up with this scheme that was from two generations ago and didn't work well back then. So it says here in verse 4, chapter 30, verse 4, Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. By the way, did, does anybody else's version have wife there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like we were at one person he wanted to marry. He wanted to just marry Rachel. Then he ends up with two. He's got two wives. It was Rachel and Leah. And now it sounds like we've elevated the status of the maid to a wife. We've got three wives now. Oh, that's awkward. Okay. Anyway, Jacob went into her. That's a euphemism for they had sex. All right. And then uh, verse 5, And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, or judged in my favor is a way to say it. God has judged my case. He has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Dan, the meaning of Dan is basically judged. All right, so that's why there's that meaning there. Although, can you hear kind of the slight there a little bit? God has judged my case. God has judged my position. He has looked with favor on me. And then going on from there, the next one, verse 7, And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. Hmm, it's not like God has been kind to me. No, it's that with great wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister. Indeed, I've prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, which means my wrestling. So here we have six sons. Six sons that are born to these two women. One being the wife that's unloved, and the other one being the maid that's promoted to a wife. By the way, when when Rachel makes mention of God in verse 6, she doesn't use the same word for God as her sister did. When her sister used the name for God, she used yod heh vav That's the God of salvation and redemption. Uh, but when Rachel uses the name for God, she uses Elohim. And it's a name that stresses God as a source of creation and life. So it's just kind of interesting. I don't know quite what to make of that, but I wanted to point it out as well. Here's something else as well. Regarding this arrangement on the board, you're going to see it get even more complicated as we go into verse 9. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing... She took Zilpah, this is the other maid. She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Verse 10, and Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Verse 11, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. 
Now, when Abraham and Sarah, when Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham, what was the reason? She was barren. She was barren. There were no children. She had no children. When Rachel gave Bilhah to Jacob, what was her situation? Get back at her sister. And she had no children. She was barren. When Leah gives Zilpah, is she barren? She's already had the first four. This is now sister versus sister in spades, if you will. All right? It seems to be intensifying. It's growing. It's getting worse. This animosity, this sibling rivalry going on. And Zilpah doesn't stop there. She ends up having another one. By the way, I, the version I read, my version is New King James Version. In New King James Version, it, it actually says a troop comes for verse 11. And then the other versions, it's felt to be more reliable, say, good fortune has come. So I wanted to point that as well that some of your versions will say a troop comes. And it's going to be in particular New King James Version and the King James, whereas almost all the others say good fortune has come, and then his name means good fortune. And then looking at verse 12, and Leah's made Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Who's the second son in verse 13? Asher. Asher, happy. I have a cousin, Asher. I think that's a great name. Happy. So here we have, how many sons do we have so far? Eight. Eight. We have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. So far for Rachel, big fat zero. Mm, that's cold. The most. I mean, these kind of count. You know, they kind of worked for a little while, and then Leah has to throw her maid in there and get two more to kind of like wipe those out if you're mm, keeping scores. Right. Um, yeah, awkward. And this is the most beloved wife. This is the one that Jacob wanted to marry all along. So here we have a clear sibling rivalry going on. Sad to see. But some of the things I want to point out, I mentioned about envy. Not a good thing to have, right, regarding envy. Go to James. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Is sibling it, rivalry. Is it possible they were having daughters through this process? It is possible. We don't have any daughters mentioned yet. Okay. There is one that will be named. Perhaps the reason she alone is named as among the daughters is because of an incident that happens to her later. Okay. So great question. All right, while you're turning to James chapter 3, give me some siblings that uh, we've seen sibling rivalry so far as we've been looking through Genesis. So thinking back all the way as far back as you can go up to chapter 30, which is where we're at right now. Anybody think of any siblings? Cain and Abel. Ooh, Cain and Abel. Sibling rivalry going on there? Mm. Uh-huh. Yep. Any others? Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, good. Ishmael and Isaac. Oh, Ishmael and Isaac. So yeah, I think those are three representative mm-hmm. samples of sibling rivalry. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob. Jacob is the guy, obviously, the main character in the story right now. Remember when, when he would steal? He stole, what, the birthright? Mm-hmm. And the blessing. And the blessing, right? And what did that what did that lead to his brother to feel toward him? He planned to murder him, right? Mm-hmm. Planned murder. So Jacob stole the birthright, the blessing. Esau planned to murder him. If this is a planned murder, what do we got up here? We got we got a completed killing, right? A completed murder, right? And then uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac, how did that do? Was that a good situation or did it end poorly? Yeah, there was that banishing. It, it destroyed the unity of the family, right? Sibling rivalry. Looking at the envy passage that we turn to, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, do we have that going on right now? Mm-hmm. We have bitter envy going on. 
But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do we have self-seeking in our hearts? Yeah, we do. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Demonic. The way that they're living right now, the patterns that we're seeing, demonic. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. Envy is not something to just gloss over and pass over and go, oh, no big deal. Envy, who cares? No, envy is a serious situation. <laughs> we got to be careful about that. So here we have that situation with envy. Bad idea. Let's turn to another passage. Turn to John 10.10. 10. Somebody might reading that one. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Excellent. So who's speaking there? Jesus, Jesus is speaking there. And he's speaking about some character he calls the thief. Who do you suppose he's speaking about? The devil. The devil. Mm -hmm. Satan. The, the accuser. The adversary. Right. And what does the devil come to do? Destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy, right? Mm -hmm. Look at this. Steal, kill, destroy. Mm -hmm. The sibling rivalry played out exactly what Satan hopes to accomplish in every one of our lives, in every one of our families. Mm -hmm. When we allow ourselves to live by rules that we make up as whatever makes us feel good, when we're self-seeking, we're playing into the devil's hand of the rules of how to live. And the end result is you see the devil succeeds. He succeeds in seeing that there's steal and kill and destroy accomplished in your family by allowing envy and sibling rivalry to be such a staple in our lives. What is God's intention for us? God's intention is that we love one another. God's intention is that we bear one another's burdens. God's intention is that we pray for one another, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we cry with those who cry. God's intention is that we work together in unity, that we honor our father and our mother. And what better way to honor your father and your mother than to get along as siblings? God's intention is that we forgive each other. We're not seeing that here. In fact, forgive each other is such a powerful thing. Turn to one last passage, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Forgiving one another. If you've got siblings in your lives that you're not forgiving, this passage needs to be a red flag warning to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We cannot allow envy in our relationships with our family. We cannot allow sibling rivalry mm -hmm. to lead us down a path that Satan is just laughing and clapping his hands because that's the path he wants us to go down. If we're in a place where we've got sibling rivalry in our family and we're a participant in that, we need to put an end to it. And sometimes what that means is we step up and we forgive the other person even when they didn't deserve to be forgiven. Mm -hmm. We need to be the ones to demonstrate and to reflect God's love mm -hmm. and stepping out and giving that forgiveness that isn't deserved, giving that person the incentive to make a change in direction <sighs> all right i've used up all your time let's go ahead and close in prayer <laughs> heavenly father we pray that you would help us lord help us to live by your rule book not satan's help us god instead of being self-seeking and envious of one another that you would help us instead to be seeking your will and seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness help us lord to live by your rules your playbook Help us, Lord, not to allow our bitter hearts to get hardened if we're allowing envy to stay in our lives, but help us to excise that from our hearts, Lord. Be the master surgeon and cut from us anything that would destroy us if we continue down that path. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. You guys have a wonderful week.